Hello and a warm welcome to Accommodate Unplugged on Tuesday the 19th of January 2021. Mark Penders across the pond stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well politics looks pretty messy almost wherever you choose to cast your eye at the moment and not least in Europe where the Dutch signed last week and as we record this podcast the Italian government is in danger of collapse so not good news for speeding up an already behind schedule vaccine rollout. Still, financial markets are clearly expecting Joe Biden's inauguration on Wednesday to open the door to further fiscal stimulus and the prospect of higher taxes for corporates and the rich, as well as increased consumer protection, have so far seemed to be largely ignored. It's going to be interesting to see how long such a seemingly blinkered focus can continue. In any event, last week we had a broad range of updates on the US economy, ranging from retail sales to industrial production and inflation. So, Mark, how do you mm-hmm. think things look now? And assume you can get it passed, of course. Do you think this new near two trillion Biden package is going to be enough? Uh, enough to patch over the economy until the yeah, vaccines. Yeah, going again. Everything else, uh, yeah, stop the slowdown. I, I it seems like it would be a reasonable place to start and a and a you know um, a good idea and. Um, certainly the economy needs it. Whether or not it's going to be enough, uh, we'll, you know, we'll have to see how successful these vaccines are in reducing cases. Um, right now, it looks like cases in the U.S. are on a decline, but they're from a very, very high level. So uh, we'll have to see how that unfolds. We'll also have to see how quickly Biden can get um, everything in gear. I imagine it's going to be faster uh, uh, than not, g- given the urgency and the fact that he does have, a, um, however marginal, he does have um, control of, over the Washington government. So, um, uh, and I think, you know, last week's data definitely are putting a heat under, um, you know, the necess- the, the need for emergency, uh, more emergency um help and it really it was just besides the retail sales and industrial production which came in on um, on friday it was the thursday before we had a giant spike in initial jobless claims which uh came in at 965,000 uh which was uh totally an unexpected uh, move uh, it had been under 800,000 and that combined with what was a very soft and negative contractionary um uh, non-farm payroll uh, number in the week before for the month of December, there are warning signs that uh, the uh, labor market is cracking in the U.S. And this is going to be um, tilted entirely toward the lower end uh, of the of the labor force, and uh, and that speaks to the necessity the necessity not only for um, emergency stimulus but for things like. Um, uh, eviction uh, a moratorium on convictions, which uh, uh, evictions, which um, Biden I, I, uh, may be extending uh, deep into uh, this year. Let's go back to retail sales. Um, we're getting the uh, weakness there. Uh, we had a seven zero point seven percent decline at the headline level, which was much more than a 0.1%, which was the Econa Day's consensus. Really, the um, uh, 
the outside of uh, vehicles, which are being supported like the financial markets by low interest rates, um, there was just broad weakness in um, the categories of, uh, of uh, department stores, uh, electronics and appliances, and non-store re- retailers had a, uh, had a very surprising sharp decline in the month. Um, so that was not good news. And of course, restaurants have been um, collapsing. So uh, 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 that really does signal the need. In contrast, we had industrial production, which did well. Uh, it's still under where it was in February before the pandemic, but the path is, has definitely been improving. And what's, and what's interesting about here is um, the strength in the capital goods areas, uh, sp- uh, specifically machinery, which, uh, uh, and this falls in lines with other uh, data and other, um, as well as anecdotal uh, surveys, uh, sentiment surveys, that businesses are, in fact, U.S. businesses are investing aggressively in new equipment. So uh, that's a very positive sign. I mean, I'm wondering now if uh, some of this is from all the um, monetary and fiscal stimulus that I think is finding itself, uh, finding its way into the housing market, is finding its way to the financial markets, may also be finding its way into business investment, which is probably the best place for it to be, to be finding its way into a very important area that will make, uh, you know, U.S. businesses more competitive when all this, hopefully, this COVID pandemic stuff is all, you know, some kind of a, a nightmare, a past nightmare for us all. Yeah, right. I mean, certainly, I guess, as far as Europe's concerned, the investment numbers, at least in things like plant and machinery anyway, are running well behind what you've been seeing on your side. Um, Germany, I suppose, has seen a little bit of a, an improvement coming through there. By and large, I think the likes of the ECB and the fiscal policymakers as well, they must still be concerned about the way that, uh, by the looks of it anyway, investment has been hit disproportionately hard by COVID. And with businesses still so unsure about the future, a lot of companies are clearly you know, cautious about introducing new aggressive spending plans, even as we start to move through 2021. Well, um, we had the German, speaking of economic sentiment mm. and sentiment, we had the German uh, Z, uh, ZD, uh, how do you say that? The uh, ZEW. ZEW survey. Yeah. So it looked pretty, what did it, what did you think? It's it's kind of, I suppose, following the sort of um, pattern we've seen since the announcement of the you know, the vaccine rollout uh, back end of last year. So, essentially, by and large, analysts, and this is really just a survey of financial analysts, what they think about the current state of the German economy and what they think the outlook's going to be like over the next six months or so. So, um, we really saw no change in how analysts perceive the, the current position. So, it's still very gloomy. Uh, really of the kind of levels you would think would indicate that people are expecting GDP to to produce at least some kind of immediate contraction. But in terms of optimism, looking at sentiment regarding the future, I mean, that's miles above its kind of long run average. And it really does just reflect the fact that, yes, people are worried about the implications of the ongoing lockdown. Mm -hmm. Indeed, Having mentioned that, that's expected, expected to get an announcement about an extension of that from the, uh, the Merkel government today. Um, but they're also equally that much more optimistic about the vaccine rollout, although mm-hmm. to be honest, that's been you know, somewhat behind schedule to date. But clearly it's boosting optimism that you know, vaccine rollout, to go with all the spending, all the quantitative easing we've had coming out the um, mm-hmm. UCB, sets mm-hmm. a positive scene for the second half of the year. And that's the business investment angle in the U.S. that, uh, that I was talking about that. That, that sentiment there of the, the post-vaccine world and getting ready for that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? 
Um, well, we also have the ECB, so that's on uh, Thursday. And so tell us what you think about that. And we also had an ECB lending survey today. We did. It's worth, I think, it's, it, the ECB lending survey, which is a, a quarterly survey right across the uh, the region's um, banks uh, to see what they're doing with their credit standards and what they expect to be happening to loan demand going forward. It's one of those surveys which markets tend to ignore because there's an awful lot of text in it and probably not enough numbers. But in actual fact, as the um, ECB really highlighted in December, one of the crucial reasons why they introduced their, their broad-based easing package last month was due to the fact that they were getting concerned that although you know, by and large financial markets were working pretty smoothly, we were starting to see some fairly significant tightening of lending standards, which could depress loan demand and hence recovery you know, over the rest of the year. So today's survey, which was for the fourth quarter of last year, that showed exactly the same sort of pattern. So we saw a tightening of lending standards on top of the previous period's gain in the, in the third quarter, both for households and for corporates as well. So now, is that going to be enough to make the ECB want to ease again um, on Thursday? Almost certainly no, because as we mentioned, they had their big sweeping easing package introduced really just a few weeks ago. But it's one of those factors which I suspect means we're going to have the likes of Christine Lagarde during her press conference adopting a decidedly dovish tone and basically pointing out, you know, we continue to stand by to do whatever might be necessary in order to get recovery you know, coming through. Well, now, what about the ECB's specific um, efforts to um, increase the availability of loans and and um, and have this pass through into um, borrowing? Okay, well, they've got a number of different aspects to their program. It really is multi-tiered now. I think you know people are used to the well, well-known phrase quantitative easing. Um, that is still going to run um, for the rest of this year, unless they change it on Thursday, which I think is very unlikely. Uh, so the old asset purchase program, which has been around for such a long time now, that's going to be net asset purchases of 20 billion euro every month. Uh, so that's unchanged from last year. Um, and they seem to be quite happy with that at the moment. The PEP the uh, the pandemic emergency purchase program, hence PEP, that's similarly expected to uh, to hold steady at its current level of what 1.85 trillion. Of course, that was hiked by half a trillion in the December meeting, and that's really their main um, quantitative easing tool now. But in terms of sort of you know, getting down to targeted efforts to, to make sure financial markets are working properly, it really comes down to their um, refinancing operations. Now, here they have a, a couple of a couple of real measures or instruments, I should say. And, and this is your targeted longer term refinancing operations. And it well comes said. out to. And, and what's the acronym? How, how do you say the Correct. acronym? Correct. So, yeah, so it's targeted long, longer term refinancing operations or TELTROS, TELTROS, as people like to call it for short, because otherwise it takes up most of the afternoon to say it. <laughs> so they are really just means by which um, banks can access extremely cheap government funding so long as they on loan. Um, those funds to the corporate side or to households. And, and according indeed, to this lending survey, that's not accelerating or that that um, that little pe- that bridge right there. Well, it does look, I must say, as if it's increased caution in terms of the lending side now. Um, uh, during a, a chunk of last year, by and large, and it's it's, it's safe to yeah, safe to say even um, that lending numbers held up relatively well, but not brilliantly by any means. Um, 
But you know, this latest survey just holds out a few warning signals, I think, that perhaps you know, we're going to start to see lending slow down a little bit. It may not happen because, as you say, it's only a survey, but certainly it's pointing in, in that direction. Well, you know, in the U.S., um, the, the Fed, with its um, um, uh, facilities, its number of facilities that range from you know, small business to uh, – to uh, large businesses, there ha- medium-sized businesses, they, there have been, you know, very little take-up, very um, a marginal take-up in the in 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 loan demand, and the and Jerome Powell's uh, really explanation is is that borrowers don't want the money, that uh, they either uh, don't uh, uh, see themselves credit worthy enough to being able to pay it back or, or, or they don't need it. Uh, wh- what about the demand side? Uh, it, it's, uh, it's not just the, the, the supply side is available in the banking loans, but is there demand for these loans? Yeah, and that's that's exactly the right question to you know, or you know, point to make, I think. It's all very well having the ability to go and lend these funds, but it's like taking the proverbial horse to water. You can't you know, always make it drink. And that may be what we're starting to see coming through in, in terms of some of these euro eurozone figures now um, the supply i think barbara looks for is available but we can't guarantee that you know the, the actual demand for loans is going to be as hard as ucb would want to see mm-hmm. um, i mean if you're looking at then the breakdown of as I recall from some of the m3 data certainly for november anyway non-bank private sector um, borrowing was it was running at 4.8 percent which to be honest is pretty well close to the historic norm really um so it's it's not it's doing okay but it's not doing as well as you might hope given how low interest rates are you know the amount of money being poured into the economy at the moment where we are seeing strong borrowing coming through of course is is on the government side i mean you know banks purchases of Government debt securities is up about, as I recall, about 27 or so percent on the year. And that's that really tells you what's happening in this QE. So there's an awful lot of liquidity sloshing around, but it still remains to be seen whether it's the case it can actually be directed to where mm-hmm. it's most going to be needed. And as mm-hmm. you say, if at the end of the day, corporates, firms, whatever you want to call them, don't want to borrow because they're not comfortable enough about the economic outlook, it doesn't matter how much money you pile into a system, it's not going to have desired effect on the real economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Push, pushing on the string. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly mm-hmm. that. Very much so. Um, well, no, I should be saying from my side. So, did a bit of politics. So I should mention some politics coming out of Europe at the moment, um, particularly with regards to Germany. Um, well, in fact, Euros, I should mention first, because we talked a lot about the uh, the COVID rescue package, which they finally managed to agree at the back end of last year. Well, we'll have finance ministers as of today. So the finance ministers from the various um, EU states are due to discuss uh, the national plans that they have to submit to the EU Commission to actually get their hands on this stimulus package in the first place. And there are some signs that the, the more hawkish countries like Germany are very keen to make sure that these funds are going to be put to good use to address a uh, country's structural issues or basically they're not going to get the money. So it's going to be something to keep an eye on there to see whether or not, you know, having finally got agreement on the package, whether it's actually going to be dished out as individual governments. Would well, be is, this is what's place. messing up Italy. Is that right? Uh, we're in a limbo now in, in, in the Italian government because of um, 
uh, the majority party uh, uh, disunity on, on how to, to divide up the funds? Yeah, well, certainly that's right. I mean, at the moment, as it stands at the moment, I'm saying we literally, as we record this, uh, I think we're due to get uh, the vote in the Senate um, at almost at any time now, which will determine whether or not uh, Giuseppe Conte, the, the current prime minister, is actually going to survive. But as you mentioned, we saw um, one of the junior partner, the Italia Viva, a uh, member of the current coalition, which consists of the um, the anti-establishment establishment five-star movement and the centre-left Democratic Party. Um, they quit. And as you said, it was really over you know plans about how to tackle the economy post-virus. And the differences there are significant in the sense that if um, the prime minister were to lose the vote today, it does mean that the president could try to form another kind of government using same parties or different parties, or whatever. Or we could go back to, again, having yet more early general elections in Italy, which is not going to be good news. Um, Has this affected Italian bonds any? It has a little bit, I think. I mean, looking really at where spreads are, I think you've got to say that by and large markets, investors still want to buy bonds. Yes, we've seen yields pretty well you know, across all the market rise somewhat since uh, the beginning of the year. But there's spreads, we're looking at BTP spreads over, over German bonds. They've hardly moved on the back of this news. I guess that's partly a reflection of the fact that instability in Italian, mm-hmm. Italian politics is more of the norm than the unusual. But, you know, things like this, I think you know, if the government's got real problems, it's not going to help the vaccine rollout program. Um, go further north in Europe to the Netherlands and the Dutch government there resigned over child welfare fraud um, at the back end of last week. Now, although it's going to continue as a caretaker government and there were elections scheduled for the 17th of March anyway, so it's not that big a deal. But again, it's probably not going to help the rollout of the vaccine. And there's little things like that at a time when you know markets are looking for good news and good news currently is all about, oh, we've got a vaccine, we've got a vaccine coming. Well, anything mm-hmm. which disrupts that delivery really can't be good news uh-huh. and of course i saw i don't i don't think it affects your side but over here uh, the pfizer biontech uh, vaccine uh, pfizer announced that they would be delaying some of the scheduled deliveries um, over the next few weeks to european countries because they want to uh, beef up their production of the vaccine to allow for greater production over you know over future months so although so they're doing some kind of retooling in the production exactly, yeah exactly that which of course should be good news medium longer term but over the next month or so perhaps it means that some eu countries will not be receiving the quantity of the vaccine that they originally expected which you know work it through to its logical conclusion means that may may mean perhaps that um, restrictions or even lockdowns going to have to last that much longer uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, let's see. Let, we have. I'm just looking at the calendar. You're going to do a Bank of Canada announcement tomorrow. What do you see for them? Mm, I suppose central banks, which might have a smile on its face at the moment, but it's probably looking over its shoulder and thinking, well, we're not doing too badly. Now, we did have a weak December employment report, but crucially, we've also had a pretty bullish uh, Bank of Canada business survey. And I think, look, taking all the numbers together, clearly it's been hit by COVID, but by and large, the economy is still doing okay. So our expectations for Wednesday are really nothing. Wouldn't surprise me to get almost a repeat of the communique we saw last time around. So crucially, 
the um, the overnight uh, rate target is going to remain at 0.25 percent and uh, the quantitative easing side of it probably still you know, uh, four billion uh, Canadian dollars per week. That said is interest. I noticed there was a survey out. I think it was last week which um, suggested that uh, a lot of analysts now uh, are looking towards the Bank of Canada beginning to taper uh, possibly before the end of this year. And certainly looking around Europe at the moment, you're not going to find too many central banks which are even contemplating the idea of tempering this side it, of the water. That'll be interesting to, if, yeah, to see what to expect uh, uh, for when the other banks, uh, they announce their tapering to see what the impact will be in Canada. Yeah, that's right. I think certainly Canada at the moment, I mean, clearly things may change, but in terms of where the economy is performing, it does seem to be somewhat ahead of the pack at the moment. Um, and talking ahead of the pack, now I know you've been scribbling some bits and pieces on China due to our colleague Brian oh, yes, uh, being right. away. And mm-hmm. on the whole, good numbers? Uh, yes, I'd say so, uh, except for retail sales. Um, production is very strong there. I think that reflects a lot of global demand for Chinese products. And we had the GDP. What did it come in at? I think 6.1, uh, which was better than uh, forecast. Um and uh, no, 6.5 year over year. The consensus was 6.1. Um, but uh, the retail sales uh, uh, and inve- uh, uh, fixed asset investment was solid. Industrial production was solid. But retail sales came in uh, growth there slowed from 4. Point, uh, from 5% uh, in November to 4.6%. And that was almost a point below expectations. And, you know, even though the monthly gain at 1.24%, you know, that's a strong gain. Um they're slowing uh, going on there, and that can't be good for the global economy. Uh, uh, the, not that I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, certainly, the U.S. doesn't sell very many consumer goods to uh, China, but it, 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 countries that do, they don't want to see slowing in Chinese de- uh, consumer demand. Um, and I think that that is a key to the 2021 20, uh, economy: is that um, not only Chinese consumers but also Chinese businesses. Um, they really do need to invest in um, in their uh, trading partners and spending on uh, uh, non-Chinese goods and services in, an, I think, a, 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 an aggressive um, rate and uh, that to help to help uh, their customers, you know, because because uh, the Chinese economy is doing so well. But the, the Chinese economy is really going to be the center, I think, of the 21 a global economy, and uh, it's going to be the source, of the, the driving engine, uh, hopefully, for, uh, for this year. Well, I must say, looking at the you know, the capital inflows going into China at the moment, um, despite all the various restrictions that the, uh, you know, the outgoing U.S. administration tried to impose, capital inflows into China have been huge, and there's obviously still a lot of confidence, as you were saying, that you know, China will do, do well during 2021. I suppose it's worthwhile just pointing out when you think about, you know, let's be honest, for most countries 2020 is just a case of how big a negative is is the sign going to be in front of gdp well mm. 2020 uh, growth in china last year was what 2.3 percent of our member so they actually managed a positive mm. handle on it which really is you know quite remarkable given what was going on elsewhere in the world yeah let's um, see that was um yeah 2.3 versus uh six percent in 2019 so yeah it was up at yeah, least it grew. Is, yeah pretty impressive going mm-hmm. right from my side a couple of things there's one thing i should certainly mention um we had the election for the new christian democrat union leader 
uh, in Germany at the weekend. Why is that important? Well, it's important because the the new person will be replacing Angela Merkel, who, of course, been effectively the, 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 the queen pin, I suppose, I should say, of politics across Europe for the last 15 years or so. So it's going to be a centrist, Armin Laschet, um, who's currently the premier of the North Rhine-Westphalia state, um, who will be taking over from Merkel. Doesn't guarantee that um, he'll become the chancellor, of course, could wait for the elections or everything else in September before that. But uh, it's crucial, I think, from market perspective, it's going to be seen as more of the same in a sense that he's been very much a loyal Merkel supporter. Um, so it does seem as if, you know, Merkel's going to be disappearing. Um, her replacement, albeit with big shoes to fill, will be following the same sort of path uh, in terms of German policy as we go forward. Um, and lastly, from my side, at least in terms of the numbers this week, uh, we get the PMIs, the flash PMIs for January. They'll be due out on Friday. As we said in the past, they're the sort of really the biggest economic indicators we get as far as Europe's concerned. And expectations there, uh, well, I suppose just a reflection of the ongoing COVID-19 crisis. Just to summarise it in one number, uh, the headline composite output index for January, the uh, expected value there is 47.9, down from 49.8 last time. And so it's that little bit further into recession territory. So if it's right across, I suppose it kind of sums up the state that the European economy is in at the moment. Okay. Well, you know, on the U.S. side, just to follow yep. up, uh, uh, we also get the PMI uh, composite flashes. And here the consensus is a mid-50s reading, which would be pretty strong uh, and steady uh, rates of growth, although that's not a market mover here in the U.S. What is a market mover is Thursday's jobless claims. And the uh, consensus is for a significant decline from the prior week spike, um, 890,000 versus 965, which we talked about earlier. But that what happens is that, that prior week scrambled um, the whole pattern there. So um, what had been a very steady, um, predictable thing, at least for a month or so, or uh, through the month of December, has now become an unpredictable thing. Other than that, we're going to get housing data, uh, housing market index tomorrow, which has been through the roof. These are home builders, uh, un uh, unmatchable uh, um, record uh, soaring gains. Uh, and housing starts and permits that will follow that. That will be on Thursday. And then existing home sales on, um, on Friday, which will and then new home sales the net prior the following week will cover up um, will finish up the the latest in the housing sector which um, is will be poised will finish will wind up what 20 20 look like which was a phenomenal year although although the market the housing market index tomorrow uh, will be for January for this month's uh, uh, sentiment among home builders so that'll give us a little hint of, of what to expect for the beginning of this year. Yeah, housing, I think a lot of countries has been one of the few areas we've had relative growth. Just a quick one before we end up in terms of these PMI, because it is quite interesting looking at how strong your headline numbers, <coughs> excuse me, how strong your headline numbers are compared to what we're seeing across much of Europe. So I do ask if I've got it in front of you, but I'm just looking at well the January numbers, sorry, December numbers we had. I mean, weakness mm -hmm. in Europe was, as we talked about before, very much concentrated in services. So the service sector PMI over here, which Eurozone, was just 46.4. What's your counterpart number over your side? We were at uh, 55.3. Um, For services. You, yeah, if you give me a second yeah. here, I'll call up. The ISM does a services yep. index, which is uh, more closely watched. And it was it it's always runs very, very strong. Um, and uh, 
And it, so how do we explain uh, why these um, in the U.S. Uh, all these yeah, Tommy, here, it's easy. Here, it's, here it's all about lockdown. So it kind of makes sense. I'm just mm. curious to know why your number seems to be so high relative over here. Is well, it just our restrictions so much tighter? Oh, I think that's it. Also, you know, also the retail sales in the, like Europe in, uh, that, that you've been talking about, uh, um, they fell off the bed and you can look at the graphs down, yeah. in November yeah. and December. Just it dropped. We didn't see that here. We, we did go down, but nothing as steep. And I think that that's tied uh, very directly to less, uh, much less restrictions here. What we have seen. OK, so how do you explain the uh, elevated levels, not in just the national uh, PMIs and the ISM, but also in the regional manufacturing services from the feds, those have all also been very, very strong. It's that sentiment. It's that, uh, you know, these are, um, there is the post-vaccine world is being anticipated. But what has been lagging in these reports is employment. And employment, and for instance, in the last ISM, came in at 48.2. That's, you know, that's in contraction. And on the manufacturing side of the ISM, it had been at 48.4 and moved to 50.5. So they're not hiring. And they blame other, you know, they don't, they don't blame their own demand. They say, well, we want to hire, we just can't find people because people are concerned about COVID and, and, um, and, and, and childcare and those things. And so, and there's also a lot of absenteeism. They're complaining about absenteeism. So anyway, these firms that are involved, and then we're talking about the labor market and the jobless claims spiking and the, and the contraction in payroll. So there, that, that is a, however much, um, some of this data or much of this data isn't correlating with what we see in the definitive part. Yeah, right. It does. It is when it comes to the most important part of all, which is employment, which is a big wound right now in the U.S. economy. Yeah. Unlike over here. Okay. Well, let's mm. wind it up there then for today. I guess we've been talking for long enough. So, on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as ever for listening. We'll be back next week uh, with a new president and hopefully better news on the virus. And in the meantime, do remember, keep up to date with all the key market moving data and events in Econoday's global economic calendar. Bye for now.